that it presents to the whole body. Now, when we think about sin, this is for the individual. Yes, sin is destructive to us, but guess what? For the church as well. We must address issues as a body. So that's what God did for Joshua, right? He worked him through that. And what's cool is Joshua learned, man. His eyes were open. He saw what was really going on. And what's cool today, what we're going to see is the very first point is going to be for Joshua, but the other four points are going to be for for the Israelites. That first point, it says humility is rewarded. After that, God's going to shift his... The white mic. Testing one, two. Hello. Youch. All right. I will talk softer. All right. The next four points. Okay. This is going to be two through five. You're going to, God's going to require them. He's going to instruct the Israelites to sanctify themselves to search for the accursed, to understand the vulnerability, and to deal with sin directly. And the message today is titled, Instructions to Sanctification. Let's pray for it. Lord, we know uh, today that, Father, there is something powerful in this word. Always, always. But Lord, for whatever reason, uh, we have faced uh, an onslaught of, of opposition. Uh, Lord, as my wife is home in bed, and Lord, as we're dealing with all the technical stuff that's going on, God, you know what's going on, and you know what we're, what we're facing. And God, our job is, just, is to simply worry about being faithful. Uh, Lord, you know I have prayed through the week. And uh, it's been tough. Uh, but God, you know what? You have, you have something for us today. So Lord, I pray you help me to get out of the way. I do not want to be the issue here. I want to vanish. And Lord, have your word speak to us. Give us exactly what we need that we might be sanctified unto you. So God, I thank you for what you'll do. And I pray that you'll guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Isaiah seven thirteen. it says this, or Isaiah, good Lord, I am out of control. Joshua uh, seven thirteen. he says, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. Okay, so after Joshua's been redirected, God has shown him what's been going on. He understands the error of his ways. And this first point, like I said, this is for Joshua. This is just, this is just for him. That, that point is humility is rewarded. And he just gets this really just one word. Up. Up. Okay? This is really, really cool. Because we know, if we go back to verse number 10, that he's already standing up. That's where God told him, get the up. It was a rebuke because he was pretending he was being humble, but God said, no, 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 you stand on your feet, Joshua. So he's already standing. So why does he say up here? Why? What's the purpose of that? See, the first up was a rebuke. This up is a commendation. I got something for you, Joshua. Listen, not stand up, up. Joshua, you need to hear this. After understanding, through God confronting his failure and exposing the sin, Joshua is a changed man. He's now learning his lessons. He went from frustrated and prideful to being literally humble and submissive. He took ownership of his failure and he's learning from it. What does God tell us about those that are willing to humble themselves in James 4.10? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what does he do? He shall lift you up. And that's exactly what God's doing here. He's taking this humble man and he's now lifting him up. He's helping him to be redirected. 
And with this redirecting his mindset, what he's doing is he's saying, look, Joshua, this is not the time for you to be defeated. <laughs> no, 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 no. Head up, son. Head up. I don't want your head hanging down. I don't want you defeated and broken by the situation that we're going through. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. This is about victory. These people need a person whose head and eyes is set on the future, not focused on the past. So many times we get so worn down by what we failed and we get so focused on the failure. But listen, that's not our job to deal with that. We can only change tomorrow. We can't, or we can change tomorrow, not yesterday. Yet we spend so much of our life looking backwards, looking backwards. And what does it do? It stagnates us in our growth for God. Or it drags us back. And what God's trying to say is, you know what? Hey, I have something for you, Joshua. I need your head up. You need to see what's coming. Paul describes it this way in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. With this one little word, up. What's God doing? He is realigning Joshua's physical position. Right? To his now redirected heart's intention. Joshua's now learning to follow God like he did before. God is directing his path. And after dealing with Joshua Joshua and getting him back on track, what happens here? The Lord is shifting him back and he's shifting his attention now to the people. Look, Joshua, now you've got an idea what's going on. Now let's go to them and let's help them as well. Because guess what? They're struggling. And the first thing he tells them to do is sanctify the people. Sanctify the people. Sanctify means to set apart. It means to separate, right? To separate. If I separate myself from the world, I'm sanctifying myself unto God. I'm setting myself apart for his use. And that's exactly what the people need right now. They need to learn to serve serve God and God alone. Not to allow their emotions or desires or their dreams to drag them in different directions. They're to follow him. And what's cool is God doesn't expect Joshua to even understand how to do it, which is awesome because I'd, if I was Joshua, I'd be like, well, that sounds great and all, but how do you <laughs> sanctify a people? I'm not sure how we swing that. But what's cool is God says, hey, it's okay. I got you. He even tells him what to say. Notice this. In verse 13, he says, up, sanctify the people and say, he's going to direct his words. What was Joshua's problem at AI? Joshua was not following the Lord. Joshua was following himself. His faith and his, and, his, and his wherewithal was coming from him. Verse number 10, he stops talking. Now what we're going to see is all the way to verse 19, he won't say anything that God doesn't specifically direct him. And when he does speak, everything is following the instructions of the Lord. It's such a beautiful thing. And notice this. Recognize God dealt with him first. You know why? So he could learn and so he could lead right? He is to set the example. And see, the thing is, Joshua has learned to follow God. And this is something that every single one of us needs to understand and take to heart. Can we imagine if every step we took, everything we said, every dream we chased was directed by God, right? Psalm 32, 8 says this, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. We trust what God can see, not what we can see. We don't walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We follow by his eye, not our eye. We can walk and trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what? And he shall direct thy 
pass. That is what being sanctified looks like, a person that is guided by the Lord. How much different would our life be if everything we did in our path in this life was directed by the Lord? We didn't get in there and mess things up. Listen, Joshua's life of surrender from this day forward, it's going to be a picture of that to us. But what we're going to see is Joshua is going to take what he's learned. Recognize the fact that only Joshua and Achan and God even know that a sin has been committed. Joshua doesn't know anything about the specifics of what's going on exactly, but what's going to happen now is God's going to walk them through the process of rooting it out as he first instructs the people, sanctify themselves. In verse 13, he says, sanctify yourself against tomorrow. Okay, keep in mind the emotional state of the people. Remember, they were not there for this meeting that God had with Joshua. So they don't know what's going on. They're still fearful and despondent and, and overwhelmed and confused by the defeat. Because recognize the fact that they've, and because of that, they've become distracted from why it is they're actually in Canaan. So they have a mission on what they're supposed to accomplish. But they've lost sight of that because they're caught up in their emotions in the moment. And what's going to happen is because they're still where Joshua was prior to his meeting with God. So now Joshua's job is to kind of, hey, let me help you guys to recognize that I'm coming down the path of restoration. I'm supposed to take you down the same course as well. And what we see here is the fact that he's to lead them people back into fellowship with God. So their fellowship has been broken. And it's broken. And what's happened now, because of the fact that fellowship is broken, they're in this state of distraction. And this is one of the things that we need to understand for us. How many Christians do we know today who live this life distracted from the mission that God has given us to reach the world? I would say most, if not a very large portion of people don't even know that's what it's about. You meet people that have been saved for 30, 40 years. You talk to them about winning somebody to Christ. They're like, what does that even mean? And you're like, what? Why do you think you're still on the earth? To see how nice a car you can have? How big a house you can build? How nice a wardrobe you can develop? How much money you can put in the bank? You think that's why God has you here? No. You live here because there's an eternal purpose to your life. Lay up for yourselves treasures on, on, on heaven. Where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where, you know, thieves don't break through and steal. He says, look, that's where you're supposed to be setting your affections. That's where your work is supposed to be, but you're stuck here. And so the thing is, we, like we talked about last week, we touched on the passage in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Notice this. This, know also that in the last days, where we are right now, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And listen to this last part. Having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. And then he says at the end, from such turn away. Don't follow those people. Amen. And that is a majority of Christianity, not only in this country, but all around the world. People are distracted. They're distracted. They don't even realize why it is they're here. And so what's Joshua trying to do? He's trying to warn them. Hey, he says, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. Against tomorrow. In order to succeed in the mission that God has given us, we must be wholly committed unto him. In order for us, the only way to be victorious in the days to come, the tomorrows that are coming, is through dependence on God. 
Now listen, this is for the Israelites, no doubt, but it could easily be spoken directly to us. Sanctify yourselves unto tomorrow, against tomorrow. We should be sanctifying ourselves for what's to come. Listen, that command is collective, but it's also individual. It's God talking to each one of us. Jesus could be saying it directly. Our Joshua could be saying it to us directly. In fact, he does say it to us directly. Go to John 17, 19 through 20. Listen to what Jesus says. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Okay, so that's, he's speaking directly to the apostles, all right? That's who he's talking to. But I want you to notice that he shifts it. He's going to start talking to you and I. Listen to this. Verse 20. Neither I, neither I pray these for, neither pray I for these alone, not just the men I'm talking to, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's looking into the future to every single person who will receive Christ. God's desire is that we would be sanctified unto God. The very same thing Joshua's telling them is the exact same thing our Joshua has told us. And we are sanctified through his word. Because listen, if we're not sanctified unto God, if we're not walking with him, can I tell you when the challenges of tomorrow come? <laughs> we're going to be distracted by our emotions. We're going to get overwhelmed by our circumstances. And we're going to lose it all. This whole thing is about sanctification. This is the goal. And can I tell you, man, that's always been God's goal for humanity. It's always been God's goal. It's always been about fellowship with him. Back in the garden, Adam and Eve were created for fellowship with God, to walk in the cool of the day with God. And what happened in the moment of that sin, fellowship was broken. So fellowship was broken at this tree with the first Adam. But when you get to the second tree, the second Adam, you know what it's about? Restoring broken fellowship, sanctifying humanity again unto God. It's a picture for us. The problem is because people have allowed fellowship with the world to be so important to them, you know what they become? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And remember last week we pointed out the fact that it doesn't say they don't love God. They just love pleasures more. There are lots of people that love God that just happen to love this world a little bit more than they do Christ. And see what happens is they end up becoming a friend of the world. A friend of the world. And I talked about it on Wednesday night. Listen, if my wife's got a friend and it's a guy, they ain't going on no friend dates. Just saying. I don't care how good a guy is. Y'all ain't going out. It ain't going to happen. So God's saying, hey, listen, you're supposed to be my bride. And you're telling me you're going to go hang out with your friend? I'm not good with that. No, 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 no. No, and what does he say in James 4, verses 1 through 8? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? It's talking about the, the struggles of the flesh. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and can, cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. We're even praying for things. He says, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Our prayers are even distorted because of our selfishness. Verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, now know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, that whosoever therefore be a friend of the world, what does he say? They're the enemy of God. Verse 5, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit, notice lowercase spirit, the one that's born within us, that dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy. We have this nature within us, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And because he does that, what does he say? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. Here's that picture of sanctification through submission. Restore your fellowship. How does it look? How do we do it? Verse 8, draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. Guess what the responsibility to make things right is with us. It's with us. But if we'll do our part, what happens? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. God is faithful. He will be there as soon as you come. He's ready to receive you. Picture the prodigal son. When the son comes over the hill, the father, the Bible says, the father was watching for him. That's the Lord, man. When we're broken, he's like this the whole time. He's looking at us. He's beckoning us. He's calling us. He's allowing situations in our life to wake us up to realize the fact that he's saying, I'm ready to restore you. I'm waiting on the fellowship. Could you just come? Would you just come? Notice how it ends. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Double-minded. Can't figure out what relation am I in. Am I a friend of the world or am I I a friend of God? And so I try to be both. What does the Bible say about people that are both sides? They're lukewarm, right? And he says he'll spew them out of his mouth. He says, you make me sick. That's what I think of your Christianity. Choose. Choose. Notice this. Joshua says this in Joshua 24, 15. As he's challenging the people, Joshua's walked with them all this time. He's getting to the point. He says, look, I'm coming to the end of my life, but you guys need to establish what you're going to do. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Listen, he's saying, be hot or be cold. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, you're going to serve the ones before Noah, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, I've set the example. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. You guys need to choose for yourselves. Notice this is their response, part of their response in Joshua 24, 21 through 24. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Okay, we're all all witnesses to this. Notice 23. Now therefore, put away, notice this, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you. Right now, you've got hidden sin among you. Listen, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. And I'm going to tell you, for a couple generations, they do. But the problem is, they didn't destroy those hidden sins. They just hid them. Because what started to happen is their hearts eventually turned back there. God's just asking us to choose him. That's when you sanctify yourself from this world and you sanctify yourself unto God. You are choosing him. God wants to walk in fellowship with his creation. That was the purpose for the cross. Do you remember when Moses, when Moses separated himself from everyone and everybody and he went up on the mountain to be with God? And he separated himself there. What did God say to him? Exodus 24, 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me in the mount and be there. Moses, I just want to have time with you. The Bible says that Moses had a communication and relationship with God. It says, as a friend, face to face, as a friend. And that's just what God's saying. Moses, I want that time with you. But guess what? That's what he's saying to us. That's what he's saying to these Israelites. I want fellowship with you. Cut yourself off from this world. This isn't going to destroy you. I'm trying to protect you from destruction. Come and be with me. 
Next thing he tells them, search for the accursed. Verse 13 continues, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Holy, they're going, whoa, wake up. Wake up, wake up. So what happens? What we see is just like with Joshua. He's revealing to them because it's the same path of restoration. It doesn't matter. If it, in what other form? If it's separation, distraction, disobedience, whatever form that distance or damage in our relationship with God is, it's restored through submission. That sin is always the root of it. This redirected Joshua. Guess what? Even now, he doesn't want any credit. Notice what he says. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Hey, God's the one pointing out your sin. Listen, if you're in this message and you get convicted by what I'm saying, don't blame me. It says, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. This is the word of God. The word of God convicts our hearts. And what does exposure of sin do? What does it do? It helps us to get right. It forces us to deal with things we don't want to deal with. And by doing it, we learn lessons and we go forward for the cause of Christ. And recognize this fact. It says, in the midst of them. It's collective as well as individual again. Can you imagine, right, how they would have been looking at each other? Because as far as they knew, they did everything right. They left Jericho going, hey, everything's wonderful. But now all of a sudden, they're like, whoa. So one of us in Jericho touched the accursed thing that God said not to touch. Okay. They're looking back and forth. So there's an aspect of this. Not only are they looking here, but they're also going, did I? Did I do? I mean, I pick up something that I didn't even realize. Something stick to my shoe. I'm like, I don't know what happened. But, but I, need, I need to look here. And see, notice this. I want you to pay attention. We're going to go to the Last Supper. And what happens at the Last Supper is the fact that the Lord lets them know, hey, guess what? One of you guys is going to betray me. And I want you to listen to the way they react. Mark 14, verses 18 through 20. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? Looking within, is it I? And another said, is it I? And Jesus answered and said, it is one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish. And now have you ever thought about the fact that God gave us the 12? And in actuality, what he was showing us in them is actually a picture of the church. Recognize the fact that of the 12, there was one who sat in the congregation just like everybody else. He was faithful like everybody else. He sang the songs. He brought his Bible. He amened, and yet he was lost. And can I tell you right now, somebody here today is lost. Amen. You may believe you're saved. You might think you're religious or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. But based upon the fact that we know that this is a representation of the church, there's a percentage of the church that does not know Christ. But then there was the eight. There was the eight. I mean, they were faithful guys. They loved the Lord. But they weren't as close as the three. There were three that were really close. There was James, Peter, and John. And what's interesting is we go to James, Peter, and John. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he didn't take 12. He took three. And he revealed the Shekinah glory as he peeled back his flesh and revealed his Godness. That's a word. And they were there. And then guess what? When he went into the garden to pray, he brought them all with him. But then he took three and he said, you guys come Come with me right up in here. You guys, you guys, I want you to pray for me. So there's a percentage of the church that's even closer. But then there was one. There was one who was unusually close. 
The Bible describes him as the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? John. John is a picture. A perfect picture of what the church is supposed to be. He's a picture of fellowship. And what's so cool about John is the fact that, you know what? When Jesus was taken to trial, Peter showed up. He didn't do so well. Guess who got him in the door? John. Faithfully there with the Lord. When Jesus went to the cross, the disciples scattered. All except for John. And God looked at John. And he had such faith in John that he entrusted his own mother to him. Listen to what he says in John 19, 26 to 27. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Verse 27, Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. That's the special heart of John. You see, John knew the heartbeat of God. He knew his heart. He was this perfect fellowship with the Lord. So notice, when we go back to the Lord's Supper in John 13, verses 23 through 25. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, listening to his heart, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned him and that he should ask it who it should be of whom he spake. Peter's like, hey John, shh, ask the Lord who it is. Notice this. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, not, is it me? Lord, who is it? Notice that? Lord, who is it? John didn't know who it was, but he knew who he wasn't, right? He said, man, I know it ain't me. I know my heart, Lord. You are mine. You've got my heart and I've got yours. It's not me. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we know our hearts? Do we really? Are we like Joshua? And we've gone through our troubles and our stripes and our struggles, but we've learned and we'll stay faithful with God. Or are we like the Israelites who would temporarily make an allegiance to the Lord just to fail him down the road? See, John knew his heart was right because he knew his fellowship was right with God. He felt that closeness with him. And if you're experiencing broken fellowship with the Lord, it's sin. I'm just telling you, it's sin. In whatever form or fashion, we need to search our own hearts and look within ourselves. Because you know what? The loving Father that we have, He wants to restore us. But the time is now. The time is now. We must address the issues of our heart and make sure that we know who we are in Christ. Because again, remember, sowing and reaping is a principle that's biblical and it does not change. Galatians 6, 8 says this, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And this ever-present truth, because of the consequences of sin, now God's going to warn them. They must be careful to understand their vulnerability. Verse 13 continues. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies. So this insight for them would have been unbelievable, 
right? They would have been like, whoa, are you kidding me? Okay, this makes perfect sense because recognize they've been struggling with their emotions because all they knew was they had heard a promise from God and as far as they knew, he had betrayed them. The promise was in Joshua 1.5, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee, okay? So what he's saying is, look, no one can defeat you. It is an impossibility for you to be defeated. And yet here they stand, defeated. So you can understand why they would feel like they feel. They don't know what's going on. They're in utter, complete confusion. So what we find is the fact that, hey, with this insight about this hidden sin, now not only does this give them the confidence in the Lord that they need, but it also shows them how dangerous sin is. Because recognize their fellowship with God. When they were in fellowship with him, when they were in obedience, that was Joshua 1.5. Oh, goodness. Y'all are killing me. Y'all got to stop crying with me. It makes it even worse for me. I have really have a hard time. All right. So when they were in obedience, this is what God said, right? There shall no man, no, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. So your obedience and submission to me will weaken your enemies. Okay? Awesome truth. Wonderful. But when that fellowship was broken and there was disobedience, God said this. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies. So your obedience and rebellion against me have strengthened your enemy. So your obedience weakens them. Your disobedience strengthens them. See, before it said their enemies couldn't stand. But now it's them. Sin empowers our enemy. Who, by the way, wants to completely destroy you. Not only you, but everything you love. Sin is nothing to play with. We must deal with it. The Bible's going to tell, tell Joshua to destroy it. So when we're defiant of God and his word, what happens, man? We make ourselves an easy target. The devil, the Bible tells us in, 10, 10, in uh, John 10.10, 10, what does the Lord come to, or the devil come to do? To steal, to kill, and destroy. This is his mission. This is why he's on the earth. So our sin empowers him to accomplish his mission. We become unwilling or un- unwittingly, we become a part of his plan to destroy us. But when we live in submission to God, awesome thing, his strength, his protection, his power, they cover us. God works on our behalf. Remember what we saw in James 4. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Just resist the devil. Don't fight him. Just resist, and he will flee from you. This is what God's telling us today. It's what he's always been telling humanity. Submit. Your spiritual strength and success will come from submission to me. That's the key. And we're constantly struggling to do just that. And recognizing this, recognition of the sin and the devastating impact, God's now going to tell them the last thing. Deal with sin directly. Verse 13 ends this way. Until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Okay? So as we saw with Joshua, God's instructing him to do the very same thing. He, but, but notice this. The wording's different. With Joshua, he's told them to destroy the sin. But that's not the instructions to the Israelites. It says that you must take away the accursed thing from among you. The reason is, they don't have the power or the authority to do what God wants done. The only one who does is Joshua, who just happens to be a picture 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Israelite is a picture of us. We do not have the power to destroy our sin. We cannot do it on our own. When we do it in our strength, what do we do? We chastise ourselves for our failures. We beat ourselves up. We make vows. I'll never, ever do it again. And as we talked last week, it never works. It never in our will will we defeat our sin. We cannot destroy it, but the power of God can. This is key. The stain of sin can only be washed away through the power of God, never the will of man. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 says this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, he's talking about sin, the things that work their way into our lives in different forms and fashions. He's saying, look, this is who you were prior to Christ. This had power over to you, over you. And listen, today you may be saved. You may be lost. If you're lost, man, you need Christ. But if you're saved, you need Christ. Because guess what? Just because you're saved, your soul and your spirit are saved, your flesh is not. And if you give it control and dominion in your life, it will take you into a road of destruction. Our body, our flesh is not saved. That's why there's a constant struggle of submission. If it was just taken away, we wouldn't have to worry with it. But every day, there's an issue. I must choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. He finished the verse 11. Listen to this. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Israelites cannot destroy the sin that's polluted them, but Joshua can. You and I can't destroy the sin that's polluted us. But Jesus can. And there are stories of people in this church who were consumed with sin completely, overwhelmed with a desire for it. And you know what they did? They fought time and time again through their human will and their human might to try to defeat it, only to find themselves in its icy, strong, destructive grip filled with regret and depression and sadness, broken. But then they (laughs) heard about a God who loved them, who not only loved them, but wanted to help them and to set them free. See, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We love God because who did he, he first loved us. See, this loving God wants to restore And it was finally when they brought that sin to God. (laughs) Finally brought it to him. And they brought their sin to the cross. The place where sin can be destroyed. Through the power of Christ. Oh man. That they could be set free. Set free. Set free from their sin. And finally for the first time in their life. Be sanctified. Sanctification comes by way of the cross, by way of the power of God. We're sanctified unto God because of what he did for us. And to take that person who was so destroyed with sin, to sanctify them, save them, change their life, and literally allow them to live a life that is holy. And when God sees them, he sees none of the past. 
He sees a sanctified soul set apart for the work of God. And that's who we're supposed to be. Is that your story? I pray it is. Listen, are you live, living right now, set free? Are you experiencing the freedom of living and walking in fellowship with God? Or is there still that sin that has a hold on you? Listen, God's given us the instructions to sanctification. We know what to do. It isn't difficult. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're all in a fight. You won't find victory in your will, in your religion, any of that stuff. You find it through surrendering and submitting your life to a God that loves you. We know what to do. Question is, will we do it? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the way that, uh, Lord, if no one else heard anything today, uh, Lord, I know you spoke loud and clear to me. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us, help us as a body, help us individually to look into our own hearts, to deal with these issues of hidden sin, Lord, to address them, to sanctify our lives unto your glory, that this life would not be about us, it would be about you. Help us to learn the lesson that Joshua is learning. Help us to learn the lesson the Israelites are learning. Help us to do what they're going to do. Root out the sin, address it, and go forward for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here today, that are struggling, that are dealing with something in their life, whatever it may be. God, I pray for your hand to guide them to sanctification. I pray for you to strengthen them and give them the courage to face those things that they do not want to face. And God, lift them out of the miry clay. If there's someone here today and they don't know Christ, you're online, you're watching this, and you say, look, I, I don't know that I have a relationship with the Lord. I believe in God. Wonderful. Praise God you believe in him, but the devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. I, I went to a service one time, and man, I got so emotional. I was crying. I fell on the floor at the, at the altar, and I prayed a prayer. Emotion is not salvation. The Bible says that the demons tremble in the presence of God. They have emotional response to him. It's not just believing in God. It's not believing his word. Because let me tell you, the devil and the demons, they believe in God. They believe his word. They know it's true. But they've not submitted their hearts to God. If there's been a time in your life when you've truly submitted your heart to him, you've given your life to Christ, he has saved you. Praise God, and that's a done deal. But if you've never really done that, if you prayed a prayer because somebody advised you to do it, or you didn't understand what you were doing, you've got to consciously choose. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a conscious choice that we make. And in that moment of surrender and submission, God will save you and save your soul and give you a home in heaven. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, you've never prayed and asked Christ. You may have prayed, but you've never received him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that just now. Again, it won't be the words. It's not a ceremony. This is a matter of your heart speaking to him. In your heart and mind, online, wherever you are, repeat after me. Remember, you're not talking to me. You're talking to God. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I fully understand who I am 
and what I've done. And I am so sorry. I understand that you died on the cross, that you paid the price for the sins of the world, and you're offering to pay that price for me right now in the best way I know how. I'm opening my heart and my life to receive that gift. God, would you come into me? Would you change me? Would you save me for your glory and use my life for your name? God, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen.